Thank you, Ed and choir. Today we come to the end of a series of messages that we've called Surprised by Faith. They're about the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ. There are ten of these. Uh, of those ten, three we know very, very little about. Uh, they had to do with, a, it just mentioned that he appeared to Peter, he appeared to James, he appeared to 500 all at one time. So we don't know a whole lot about those specifics. But the other seven, we have a great deal of biblical material that tell us about those. We're on the last of those today. We started where Mary was surprised as she visited the tomb and found the Lord alive. That was her surprise. Then the faith came as he gave her the faith to walk away from clinging to him and to go and share her story. We see him again appearing to, in the upper room. Uh, or excuse me, the two on the road to, to Emmaus. Cleopas and his friend, they walked and they were talking about how deeply troubled they were about what all had happened in Jerusalem. Jesus appeared, but they didn't recognize him. and said, what is it that's been troubling you so much? And he talked and opened uh, their eyes to the scriptures all the way to their home. Then he was invited in, and in the breaking of the bread, suddenly they understood who he was. They were surprised, had been in the presence of the Lord. Their faith then propelled them to return to Jerusalem and share their story yet again. Then twice in the upper room, one with Thomas not there and one with Thomas there, Jesus appeared to them, surprised. Just suddenly he was there in the room with them. And he shared with them his peace. He shared with them evidence, and this is so very important. He said, come here, I want you to look at my body. I want you to know that it's me. I'm not a ghost. I'm not a phantom. I'm not a figment of your imagination. I am real and I am alive. Now, he didn't say those things, but that's what his appearance before them bespoke. And so they were surprised, but the faith they had was Jesus really is alive. And then we see him appearing to seven of the disciples on the Sea of Galilee and how uh, they were surprised to find that was him on the shore. But what he taught them is, look, even if you go about doing the things you do best, you will never succeed apart from my anointing in your life. And so their dependence on him was their faith that was bolstered. Then he had a special time that he talked just with Peter. And he dealt with Peter's denial, but also dealt with Peter's confession of faith. And the change that had been happened in Peter's life then, that Jesus could then say, okay, now by faith, here's what I want you to do. I want you to care for my lambs, oversee all of my flock. But very specifically, I want you to disciple these that belong to me. Now, today we come to the last of these. And this is up on uh, the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Ascension. There's a ridge that runs down uh, that uh, uh, western side uh, to the west of the eastern wall and it, it, the Mount of Olives is there where we're used to Jesus was, was praying but it's a ridge that runs all the way along there. Uh, Larry and I have been there uh, on several several occasions. We don't know exactly where along that ridge Jesus was when he ascended. There are several different chapels there that commemorate it. But whereas some of the locations are very ironclad, others are well somewhere right around here this happened. We know that this happened. What surprised them was not Jesus being with them. We find out in both Luke and in Acts that he was already there. What surprised them was he began then to ascend before their very eyes, disappearing into the Shekinah glory. And then the faith that was bolstered by the angels being there. I appreciate uh, Tony reading that passage 
earlier before us. So what I want us to do today is to realize the surprise that as Jesus left us, that's a guarantee that he will return in the same way. And that should bolster our faith to be about the work that he's left us to do until he returns. Will you pray with me? Father, we come before you praying over your word that, Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us those things that we need to know, the things that we need to be aware of in our very own lives that help us to be the men and women of faith you want us to be. Surprise us not only by your presence, but by the word that you have to speak into our hearts here today. And we will open our hearts to be bolstered in our faith by it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. What Jesus left us to do was a monumental task. We are to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. Embedded here uh, in, in this passage is one of the two that embody our great commission. That we're to go into all the world. Specifically, Jesus says here, you're going to start where you are in Jerusalem. You're going to go to Judea. This is the area around you where you're pretty much like these other people. But then you're going to go to Samaria where the people that you really hate and that you've been divided by culture wars for so long. And then all the way to the ends of the earth. And as you are going, I am going to be with you. Now, we're going to deal with the Matthew passage next week. But here we're talking with the Acts package, uh, passage, Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. So, with this monumental task to get the gospel to the whole world, how do we do that? Well, Jesus specifically left us with four very important tools that would enable us, each and every one individually, and then the church collectively, to obey him and do exactly what he called us to do. These four tools, when you and I use them, will embolden our witness, and they will make us much, much, much more effective as we go. To accomplish the work that God has called you and I to do, not just me, not just you, but every one of his disciples, these four things we need. We need a solid foundation, sufficient power, a sharp focus, and a sure hope. These four we're going to look at this morning. If you brought your notes with you at home, you may want to pause and download those so you'll have them in front of you. The very first thing I want us to look at is for us to be effective in what God has called us to do, to be the Christians God calls us to be. We need the solid foundation. And the solid foundation here consists of two foundation stones. The proofs of the Lord's resurrection in our midst is the first. And then the teaching he gives us on the kingdom. So let's look, first of all, the many proofs of the resurrection. You see what it says right here. This is, is important to pay attention to every word in the scriptures right here. It, it, it tells us that, <clears throat> excuse me, in, uh, that as they were assembled together, look at verse 4, ready to depart from Jerusalem, but waiting for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me, for John truly baptized you with water, but you shall be baptized with Holy Spirit not many days from now. Therefore, he said, come, as you come together, one of them asked him, Lord, will you uh, at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? 
And he said, it's not for you to know the times of the seasons which the Father has in his own authority. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the very ends of the earth. Now, what I want you to see, we didn't read this morning, but I want you to look, go look up at verse 3. It says, To whom he presented himself, the disciples, alive after his suffering, with many infallible proofs, being seen by them during the 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Many infallible proofs. Infallible proofs. Some translations uh, have this uh, uh, convincing proofs. The Amplified Bible has it unquestionable demonstrations. Part of the purpose of Jesus appearing to somewhere around 600 different people over a 40-day period of time was to establish infallible, unquestionable, absolute proof that Jesus Christ himself was alive from the dead. Now this is pivotal. This is foundational. This we've got to get, all right? You and I do not base our faith on wishful thinking. We do not base our faith on what we hope to be true. Our faith is based on solid proof. There is more evidence. There is more evidence for Christ's resurrection than there is for that a man named uh, uh, Shakespeare, William Shakespeare, ever, ever existed. Empirical, historical, verifiable, irrefutable evidence that Jesus rose from the grave. Testimony. Eyewitness accounts. This, this is what we have. Visual. These people saw him. They saw him. But more than so, you might have seen a phantom. You might have seen a figment of your imagination. It might have been a, a kind of group hypnosis or group hysteria, right? So Jesus specifically then gave the physical. Come and see me. Come and handle me. Come and touch me. Put your finger in the hole in my hand. Your hand in my side. Give me something to eat. Let me eat in front of you verifiable proofs it was Jesus and he was alive convincing demonstrations and then his his teaching he taught them about the kingdom he went back and picked up all the things he'd been teaching them for these three years and put them all in line with other scriptures and then all of a sudden they said well yes there it is absolutely verifiable this was Jesus. Look, folks, if you question this, your faith itself is being questioned at its core, at its very foundation. And Jesus wanted us to be absolutely sure today, based on solid evidence and eyewitness accounts, that Jesus Christ himself, who died on the cross, buried in the tomb, had come back to life. This was foundational. So for you and I to do the work that we have to do, 
We cannot have any question here. If, if you think, well, maybe, maybe Jesus really did rise from the dead, you don't have the boldness to speak the gospel to people. But if you have absolute assurance of this one thing I know, we have verifiable, historical, empirical, irrefutable, infallible evidence, then that bolsters our faith and gives us boldness. So the first foundation stone right here is in his appearances. The second has to do with what he taught about the kingdom of God. Now, this is a, a, a regular teaching of Jesus, especially in Luke and Acts. Now, by the way, let me chase a little rabbit around the pulpit here real quick. You may not be aware of this, but Luke wrote both of these volumes. He wrote both the Gospel of Luke, and he also wrote Acts. You see at the very beginning how he identifies himself and how he's writing it to a man named Theophilus. But also, he closes out his Gospel with a very brief uh, um, account of the ascension and he opens Acts with a more detailed account of the ascension. So these two books are wedded together. That's important. You need to know that. You need to grasp and understand that. So 40 times in the gospel he records Jesus preaching about the kingdom. And then now eight times in Acts we have the verification that the same gospel that Jesus preached while alive on earth is the same gospel that he preached after his resurrection. This is important because he's telling us to continue what he did, to continue to preach. What was it that he preached? What, when Jesus came preaching, Mark 1.15 tells us this, Mark 1.15. Here's his message. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He links the kingdom with his preaching. And what is the preaching? To repent and to believe. Now let me pause a minute. I need to chase another little rabbit. There are those in Christendom today, those in evangelical faith today, who would separate repentance from belief. That it's possible to believe that Jesus is your Savior and Lord, but not to repent of your sins and to move after holiness and godliness. There are those that would separate the two. Jesus did not separate them. Paul did not separate them. And I don't think we need to separate them as well. These go together. Jesus was preaching the kingdom. And here's how the kingdom happens. By repenting of your sins and believing on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. These go together. 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 So those who would preach to you, well, accept Christ as your Lord and Savior today, you'll be assured of not going to hell. And then later on, when you make up your mind to, then you can become a disciple. Then you can really give him, make him Lord of your life. Then you can really dedicate your life and follow him. No! That's not biblical. These two are wedded together as two sides of the same coin, folks. Repentance towards God and faith in what he's done. These two go together. They must go together. And so the gospel of the kingdom that you and I are to preach, yes, Jesus died to take our sins upon himself. Yes, he rose again the third day. Absolutely pivotal. But what is there, what is the call for you and I to do? To confess our faith and that he did that? Yes. 
but then to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To turn away from doing life our own way and to boldly follow God's way for our lives. Do not divide what God has not divided. These two go together. So, the, the first the first thing that tool that Jesus left us is a solid foundation in the infallible proofs of the resurrection and the clear gospel that he's given us to preach. The second I want us to look at is in order to accomplish Jesus' work, to do what he's left us to do. The second thing is we need to have sufficient power. Sufficient power. Did you notice what the disciples said? As they were standing here with Jesus, and they've been with him off and on now for this 40-day period of time, he's appeared to all of these people. They know he's absolutely Jesus alive. His, their question was this, now will you reestablish the kingdom of Israel? Is now the time that you're going to pronounce yourself king and run out Rome and all the rest of this and reestablish Israel as the powerhouse that they are supposed to be? Jesus did not correct them that that's not going to happen. You notice that? He didn't tell them, oh boys, that, that, that ain't never going to happen. No. What did he correct them on? The timing. He said, it's not for you to know when that's going to happen. That's the something the Father has kept in his own counsel. And it, it, my, my very, uh, very poor paraphrase of this is, that's none of your business. What your business is, is to spread the gospel. I think it's very important to understand the end times events. I think it is marvelous to study eschatology, to study prophecy and to look at the newspaper and see how we see these things are, are beginning to unfold in, in our, our very eyes. I think that's wonderful. I think that's something we need to do. But it is not a substitute for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do. Not to argue about prophecy. We're called to share the gospel. That's going to happen. And that's going to get down on our fourth point. That's going to happen. Christ is going to return. But what is imperative is that you and I have the power of Holy Spirit within us to share the gospel. That's what this is about. Jesus said, I want you to hold up right here in Jerusalem and wait until Pentecost. Why was that so important? Well, that was about another ten days later. And waiting was something that Jesus was having to teach us to do. Waiting is still something you have to teach us to do. <laughs> we don't do that very well, do we? Waiting is hard, okay? So he said, you stay here and wait. And then the gift of, 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 of the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, is going to come upon you. Now, why was Pentecost so important? Pentecost was one of the feasts to where they, they offered the first fruits back to God. They offered the very first fruits of their flocks and of their, of their crops, everything. Offered the, the, the best that they had back to God as a thanksgiving offering. And so Pentecost marked the time where Christ was being presented back to the Father as the first fruits of the resurrection. And you and I as believers are represented there that we are the first fruits of those that he has redeemed by his blood. So it was, it was important to wait till Pentecost. What happened at Pentecost? That's further in Acts. That's where Holy Spirit came upon the disciples. 
He appeared with, with cloven tongues of fire upon them. He, 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 something very different. Holy Spirit had many times come upon man, but he had never come to permanently indwell man before. He had influenced men, but he had never come to indwell men. And so Holy Spirit now came to those who were believers to come into them, to be Christ himself in our lives. Folks, that's where the power comes from. We're called to be his witnesses. Will you hear me very carefully here? Pay close attention. We're called to be his witnesses. We are not called to be his salespeople. One more time, I just want to take a moment to chase the little rabbit here that I think is important. In my earlier career, I was trained in sales. That's what I did. That's how uh, Valeria and I both kept, kept food on the table, was through sales. And how to present the, the best deal, how to close that deal, uh, how to not let them get away, how to have them coming back again and referring others. All of that was sales. We were trained in sales technique. That's not the same as witnessing. You are not called to sell Jesus to anybody. That's not our calling. And we have, we have chased that rabbit historically in Christianity over the years to where we're hurried and close this deal. You, here, pray this prayer. Put your name on the card right here. And bam, okay, I'm out of here. I'm gone. Did you know that Jesus never called us to make converts? He called us to make disciples. And you don't do that as a flash in the pan. Now, that aha moment must come. And we celebrate it when somebody receives Christ into their lives. Absolutely. But that's not an end in itself. We're going to see next week that the calling that Jesus puts on us is not to make converts, but to make disciples. And the difference in what that really, really means. Now, here's the point. The power of Holy Spirit. He is offended. He is offended. His work is quenched in the lives of people who think they know better how to present Jesus than he does. We're not called to be salespeople. We're called to be witnesses. What does the witness do? The witness says, here is what I have experienced. Here is what I have seen. Here is what I can bear witness to. Here is the transformation in my life because Jesus Christ has come in my life. How did that happen, Ed? Well, it happened because God became a man. He lived a perfect life. He died on the cross. He rose again the third day. And that by repenting and confessing my sins, asking Him to be the Lord of my life, that He transformed our story and the gospel, the gospel and our story, our story and the gospel, our story and the uh, they go together. They go together. But the power is not in how persuasive you are. The power is not in how convincing you are. The power is in the anointing of Holy Spirit. And so what Jesus gave them to effectively accomplish what he's doing is not super-duper stories to tell. But simple people sharing their simple stories of how their lives have been transformed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the second power. Understand where the power comes from. 
So we need a solid foundation. We need sufficient power. Here's the third one. We need a sharp focus. And this is verses 6 through 8. A sharp focus. And the focus here, as Jesus said, the focus should not be on political maneuverings. Who's the rulers at this time? When God is going to establish his kingdom. Now, again, I have to say, Jesus did not say, I'm not going to do that. He is. He is. Now, when you see the kingdom of God, you've got to read the context and see what it is it's talking about. Sometimes it's talking about the millennial reign of Christ, when he comes back and he reigns for, th- for a thousand years. Sometimes it's talking about wherever he reigns in the hearts of his people. The church, I mean the real church, not the church gathered, the church scattered. Wherever he reigns in those hearts, that's where the kingdom is. The point that you need to understand is this. It's not about the when, it's about the what. You see, when our focus is only on what is going to happen when Jesus comes back, We're not taking care of business now, okay? We need to be taking care of business now while we're looking for him to come back. And that's the fourth thing we're going to get to in a moment. We need to be taking care of business, and this is the sharp focus of sharing the gospel. This is what we get at in those very clear, he says, you will be my witnesses. Did you know that you are a witness of Jesus Christ, whether you try to be or not? You are a witness of Jesus Christ. If you're a believer, if you've come to faith in Christ, if he's transformed your life, if you've been born again, you are a witness. Now, the only question is, am I a very good and effective witness, or am I a sorry witness? That's the question. You know, in any kind of a trial, you have witnesses for and against. I want to be a witness for the Lord Jesus Christ, and not by by living a a, a crazy life, a disobedient life, a a, a, a debauched life. I'm I'm a witness when I'm living in my old sin patterns. I'm a witness that I'm a sorry believer in Christ. And I do not reflect well on the Lord Jesus when I'm living that way. A missionary was sharing at one time, and he said, the greatest problem, one of the greatest problems that lost people have is they have never met a real believer in Christ. But the greater problem that most lost people have is that they have met people who claim to be believers in Christ. I don't know if that stings you, but that stings me. There's an ouch that goes with that. The lost world is looking for authentic Christians, witnesses to the power of Holy Spirit to change and transform a life. That's what he's up to. And so Jesus says, okay, I want you to start right where you are, right here in Jerusalem. Now right away, the disciples may have thought, "Um, Jesus, this is the bunch that killed you. This is the bunch that we're cheering on. I mean, they cheered you into town as you came there a week earlier, but then they turned against you and were crying for your blood later. This bunch? Oh, yes. Be witnesses to me right here in Jerusalem. 
But this is where the head of the religious authority is. These are the ones that crucified you. Begin right here in Jerusalem, Jesus said. And let me, as a side note, this is me talking, not Jesus, okay? It's not going to get any easier when you leave the city limits. Because then you go out into Judea. And Judea people talk like you, they act like you, they, and so on and so forth. But they just stood idly by while all this was happening. You need to go to Judea. Then I need you to go north to Samaria. What's in Samaria? These were the half-breeds. These were the ones that, that were absolutely untouchable to the real godly Jews. And then I want you to go to the ends of the earth. Where is that? That's the nations. That's the Gentiles. That's those who don't know anything about the Lord God at all. And they serve pagans. They serve idols. And they serve their own selves. So what Jesus is saying is this doesn't get any easier the further out you go. It doesn't get any harder either. But your witness is going to begin here. And like a pebble in a steel pond, then it's going to radiate all the way out. You will be my witnesses. Here's the focus. Sharing the gospel of the kingdom. Preaching repentance and faith towards Christ. Keep your focus sharp. Why is that important? Look, you and I have, will have an average of 55 conversations with people a day. 55 conversations a day, an average. Sometimes more, sometimes less. In that conversation, how focused are you to bring the message around to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. That's by being sharply focused. Whether it's about the sporting events that we haven't had till right here recently. <laughs> Whether it's about the cost of gasoline. Don't you find it just absolutely wrong that gas is at an all-time low and we can't go anywhere? I mean, that's just wrong, isn't it? I'm sorry, I wasn't supposed to get off on that. Anyhow. Whatever your conversation is, have you got a pinpoint focus? I've got to find a way to bring this to Jesus. I've got to find a way to bring this about how God is impacting lives. Finally, finally, the last point is this. To do God's work effectively, we need to have a sure hope. A sure hope. Now here's where the surprise came in. They were standing around talking to Jesus. He was affirming them in all of these ways. And all of a sudden, he does this little magic act kind of thing. He starts levitating. Hey, I can do that for you too. I can't get about that far off the ground though. <laughs> but he didn't stop there. He kept on going. Higher and higher. It says he, he was enveloped into the clouds and, and, and a good understanding that it is the Shekinah glory of God that descended on the mountain where Peter and James and John saw him visit with Moses and Elijah. This same Shekinah glory, the presence of God just enveloped him. And there they stand. Wow. That's the surprise. And then there's the second surprise. Guys! What are you standing around here looking up into heaven for? He told you to be out there sharing the gospel. Now you saw him go. He's going to come back the same way he left. But in the meantime, 
get busy. Now, that's not in your Bible anywhere. I understand. I am giving my interpretation there, okay? That's what the angels were saying. Don't get caught up gazing into glory, looking to be the first one that saw him coming back. <laughs> Who cares? All right? Be about the work of sharing the gospel because he is coming back. He is going to return. And that absolute sure hope is an anchor to our soul. It also gives us a timeline. Not that we can put a time frame, a time on it, but a time frame. Jesus said, these things are going to happen, and then you know the end is, is getting near. It's only in the Father Council that we know exactly when that's going to be. But what you and I get to do is we get to be bringing people into the kingdom until that moment. Right up until that moment. You know, the, one of the greatest joys you could have is when the Lord comes back, if you're holding somebody's hand and praying them into the kingdom. Wouldn't that be something? Praying somebody into the kingdom and the trumpet sounds? What's that? And the eastern sky is split wide open. The Father says, Son, go get my children. And you get to go to heaven carrying somebody with you in your hand. How grand could that be? When the Lord returns to find you sharing your story and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can we draw this home now? I want to draw it down and, and, and put it into a nice little package for you. Jesus left us with these four tools. These four tools that enable us to do this monumental task of sharing the gospel with the world. Solid foundation in his resurrection in his kingdom. Sufficient power by Holy Spirit. Sharp focus with the Great Commission. And the sure hope that he's coming again. How are you effectively using these tools as a motivator? How do these tools equip you? How is this motivating you? That's where you're surprised by faith. Are you absolutely sure of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Absolutely, absolutely sure. Would you stake your life on it? Then stake your witness on it. More absolute, verifiable, empirical, historical proof than is required by any courtroom was established. Jesus said, I want you to have infallible, unquestionable proof. How is the fact of the resurrection empowering you, encouraging you, emboldening you? Are you using that as a tool? Secondly, how well do you know the gospel? You know what's embarrassing sometimes? We'll be real, real transparent. What's embarrassing sometimes is to have an opportunity to tell somebody how to be saved and not know how. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. A couple of years ago, I had somebody come in, in, in towards my office and they, and 
They told the secretary, I need to see the pastor. I've got a friend here I want to talk to him about. And, and he, he brought his friend in and he said, I need you to tell my friend how to be saved. And I said, I'd, I'd be glad to. Why don't you do that and let me help you? And he dropped his head. Because I don't know how. Because I don't know how. Now, can I tell you this? He knows how now, all right? He knows how now. Do you know the basic elements of the gospel? We're going to go over those again next week. But I made you a promise. Derek and I together made you a promise. And anybody who fills this pulpit, that not a single Sunday will go by that we don't mention the elements of the gospel over and over again and give you a fresh hearing of it to encourage you and to equip you to share the kingdom. Do you know how to share the gospel? Have you sat down long enough to put into words your own story of how God has transformed your life? These are the tools that Holy Spirit uses to bring people to faith in Jesus. Are you efficiently using those tools? I was working with our youngest son over the weekend, and we were cutting step treads to go up to where on his, uh, his uh, deck. And that's a fun thing to do, I want you to know. But working those angles out and getting those measurements right, doing those cuts, it's all about knowing how to use your tools. How to figure using your tools. And to be able to share that. Oh, that was a blast. That was a blast. Do you know how to use the tools Jesus gave you? Let me ask you, how focused are you on making conversations float towards Jesus? Some of them are going to fall in our lap. Holy Spirit's just going to do that. But He wants us to be manufacturing those conversations. How is it I can start from tomato vines and make a beeline to the cross of Christ? How can I move from my favorite sports team and make a shot straight to the gospel? This is letting it permeate my brain and be focused. Okay? Finally, how convinced am I that he's coming back? And that if he comes back today, will he find me faithful? This is where you take those tools and they become motivational for us. So I want us to pray over these this morning. I'm, I'm talking to the church of Jesus Christ this morning. I, my focus has not been on lost and people coming to faith in Christ. I hope there's that opportunity today. That's why we've shared the gospel several times in the midst of this. But listen, this is to us as the church. You bow your heads and let's pray together. Holy Spirit, how well are we as the church of Jesus Christ allowing you to equip us with these tools to be effective in what you've called us to be about. Make us absolutely certain of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that we can stake our life on it. Help us to understand the gospel and how to share it with someone else. Holy Spirit, enable us to put our story into words that we can share the difference in our lives because we've surrendered to you. Father, I ask you to just have Holy Spirit who lives within us prick our heart and show us a focus of how to move quickly. Not like a salesperson trying to close a sale, but to move the focus to the Lord. In the bank the other day, sitting with my wife, having a discussion with one of the officers there, I, I was just so blessed that you empowered my wife twice in that conversation. It's about God. Father, help this to be pinpoint focus in our lives. And Father, may we live in light that the next beat of our heart could be with you standing back on the Mount of Olives having returned again in all your glory. And until that day happens, when you split the eastern sky, Father, find us faithful. This morning, Holy Spirit, there are some who may want to come to the altar and just pray and say, God, I, I want to be more faithful to use the tools you've given me to encourage myself and focus my life Others may want to come and pray for, for dear family members that, that they, they know or suspect to be lost. Lord, this is a time we want to do business with you. It's all about doing business with you. So bless this time that it may honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.